what do they call it? They call it uh, Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What's going on, guys? This is your host, Caleb. And Seth. Today, we're going to be breaking down Toy Story 4. And we will also be going into 1974 and the two movies, the Academy Award winner, Godfather Part 2, and then the top grossing film, 1974, Blazing Saddles. So moving to Toy Story, it's uh, when a new toy called Forky joins Woody and the gang on a road trip alongside the old and new friends reveal how big the world can be for a toy. It is an hour and 40 minutes. It was directed by Josh Cooley. It's a very uh, funny movie. It takes a more of a funny aspect to the movie than most Toy Stories. They have Key and Peele in it, and they play more of the funny role in the whole movie. It was a solid movie overall. Uh, the movie looked fantastic. Uh, Pixar does it again. The movie looks absolutely stunning with uh, a lot of the city and the background looking very lifelike. Even the toys glistening with the different lights and stuff. It just looked overall really, really well. Now, I have to say, from the commercials to the marketing campaign to everything, I did not think this movie was going to be good. I loved the way 3 ended it. I felt like it was a great ending. There was no need for a fourth one. I'm not going to say I was totally wrong, but I will say that it was a very solid movie. With 3 being so good with the ending, I really was with Caleb on. I did not think it could be done that they could make another one and have it a solid movie without just them trying to steal your money. But, like Caleb stated, it was a very solid movie. It, I believe most people liked it overall from everything I've read on it. And it actually took the plot where it ended, built off of that, and then it had another good ending. So, very, very solid movie. And like I said, it was very funny in comparison to the other Toy Stories. Uh, now we're going to be moving into some spoiler discussion probably, so if you don't want to get the movie spoiled, you might want to skip ahead. I'll put uh, in the notes where to skip to. But, um... I was actually surprised with uh, Forky. I thought Forky would be super annoying and like super blunt and he wasn't going to add much to the movie, but they actually handled him really well and actually he was pretty funny. I enjoyed it a lot with Forky whenever he was in it. I didn't think he was overbearing or anything. The only the only problem I really had with the movie is um, Key and Peele. Their characters were there, the bunny and the chicken attached together. They had some really funny parts in the film that I really enjoyed. But um, it just seems like it's it's a kid's movie, so I have to give it a little bit of a break. But it always seems like um, the comedic relief of a comedy movie, especially. They just went over the top with some of the jokes. Not saying it really ruined it. It was just like, alright, this, uh, this went on for about 10 seconds too long. But overall... The voice acting was great. I loved seeing everyone back again. And, I mean, I really I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I, I found 3 to be the perfect ending. So, with with them putting this in there, and it didn't totally feel like Cash Grab, like I said, because they did a really good job on it. And it was really entertaining, and I know a lot of people loved it. And so, I can't really 
complain in that aspect. But um, I I found I found the other movies to be better than this one. Still, still a really good animated film, especially with all the garbage they're putting out there with Illumination and all that stuff. I mean, this is definitely the chances of this winning the animated film of the year. Pixar wins every year, so <laughs> they're probably gonna win it with this one. I would just sit on uh, the animation. It was phenomenal. Like definitely, it gets better every year. There was uh, a couple scenes with a cat in it, and the cat looked real. Like it was a normal cat that they're filming in the movie. Now, like Caleb said on uh, the Key and Peel, they did go overboard on a couple jokes, but overall, I thought they were hilarious. And I would call it a perfect cartoon in the sense of for families because it's a movie that kids and adults can watch and laugh at it and enjoy it almost just as much because it it just like, you know, sometimes when you get older and you watch a movie that you watched as a kid, it doesn't really hit the same way because you were a kid and it's not as enjoyable, but it was i really found it hilarious now uh the the movie you know it was compelling you know the fact that uh woody you know he, he has this whole arc where he's kind of being forgotten now by bonnie and he has to he feels like he still has to do something he has to be worth something you know because andy he was such influential with andy and then even with bonnie at the beginning but he can't kind of gets tossed aside and um she makes this fork at school her first day well kindergarten orientation and she needs a fork and it comes to life and she is obsessed with this toy and needs it so Woody's mission this whole movie is to get Forky back to uh, Bonnie now like I said th this movie uh, it did have um, some very good emotional scenes especially between Bo Peep and Woody and they really actually did a good job in developing Bo Peep more because as I remember from the first movie and uh, the other Toy Stories, is that um, she she was such a side character. There was a little fling going on between her and Woody, but this really developed that relationship to a whole other extent. And um, I, I actually enjoyed it. Now, I will say this about Toy Story. They don't shy away from uh, adding some uh, scary scenes, especially for kids, you know? There's these, like dummy mannequins kind of reminds you of like dead silence and their names are benson and they're creepy as frick okay these guys are so creepy and yet like this is a kid's movie and let's be real Keanu reeves being in this movie made it better with being captain kaboom i didn't even know his Keanu reeves until after the movie but anything with Keanu at this point is going to be epic so yeah i, I think this movie really put uh woody to rest because, I mean, as you saw, he was kind of dying out as a character throughout the movie because he wasn't being played with anymore. But now he's kind of with Bo Peep out, which is like, quote-unquote, his destiny or whatever, which really put a good rest to Woody, and I liked it. But Yeah, I, I liked it. I, did, I liked the ending, and, you know, they kind of closed off this whole thing with Woody but uh, overall, you know, I just I just felt like I I didn't need it. I didn't need an ending with Woody. I was perfectly content 
with the ending of three being passed to Bonnie. Like it was so perfect because this movie, yeah, like I said, it focuses on Woody and kind of closes his character arc, but like no one was clamoring for a Woody ending, you know? I felt like this whole series led to three, ends with three, them all being given away, and then they're like, no, we need to make a fourth one. Which I said, they did well on the fourth one, so I can't complain that it was a total cash grab, unlike Incredibles 2, which the quality went down significantly as a cash grab. Toy Story 4 still was a really good movie. I just felt like it was unnecessary. And I know a lot of people found it that they wanted it, and they were excited for it, and they really loved it. But I just wasn't, I wasn't all that impressed with it. But also, I want to bring up the villain. The villain was Gabby Gabby. And it was actually a really... It was a really interesting villain, I felt like, in the movie. Because she never... She comes across at first, obviously, as a villain. She's established as a villain. She wants to take Woody's voice box so that she can play her voice. So that way, the kids will love her. But, obviously, Woody doesn't want to give his up. And she uses Benson as her henchman to try stealing stuff. But the way the movie went, and eventually Woody gives it up to her. But she didn't seem... She actually was a redemptive villain there at the end. Like, you actually were cheering for her. And you never hated her so much that you weren't able to cheer for her. And I thought that was a really good development of character. Especially on her part and on Woody's part. Because she wasn't some evil thing doing some nefarious acts for no reason. No, she wanted to be loved just like Woody has been loved with two owners. And that's what they really hit on was like that Woody Woody had um, Andy and now Bonnie. Gabby Gabby has not been able to speak ever since she's been made. And she was defective from the very beginning. So she all she wanted was one owner. And Woody finally sees this and gives it up his voice box. And actually it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed that whole villain arc. I mean, I would say their plot was very solid on the movie like Caleb was saying with it I mean that's like Woody's classic character he's he really is always thinking about the others trying to save people like he his whole goal was he's like even if I'm not gonna get played with I'm at least gonna give Bonnie Forky to play with because I this is like my purpose to help out others and I think that played off of his role and then him ultimately finding Bo Peep and staying with her because it's finally like time for him to stop almost giving and think a little bit on himself. Yeah, and uh, back to the whole, I was really scared how they were going to approach Bo Peep from the trailers and stuff. I thought they were going to go into this whole like feminist, like she can stand up for herself and everything. And, like, she doesn't need anyone or anything. Not that that's anything that's a terrible, but it's just been done a thousand times. And that's why I thought this movie was going to be super stale. But they actually handled it really well. You really do end up liking Bo Peep here. Uh, you really root for Woody and Bo Peep. Was this better or worse than 3? What Would you think it should have stopped at 3? I would say 3 did have a great ending. And I don't think they needed the 4th. But after seeing the fourth, I am very glad they made it because it was just so perfect. And I will stand by Toy Story 4 is my favorite Toy Story. Oh boy.
Okay, well, what's your rating? And I'll get into my explanation. I give it a 9. 9 out of 10. 9 okay. out of 10. Okay, I gave this movie a 7 out of 10. Now, my reasoning behind it was if this movie was not after the third one, this movie could have easily been an 8 out of 10 for me. But the reason behind it is I felt like with 3 ending the way it did and so perfectly wrapping up a great trilogy of movies, it just, they add this, it's good, but it's lesser because I felt like 3 was a great ending and I didn't need this. Like I didn't need Woody's character to be finished up like that. And that's why I actually put it lower. I would say 3 had a great ending too. I mean, I think we can all agree that 3 had a great ending. But what I would say about it is 4 had better animation, better character development. Yeah, but 3 3 no, time, and time, 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 a better a more solid no, plot no, line no, than no. 3. And it was funnier to yeah, add to it. It may have been funnier, but 3 was way better and I I liked it a lot more. I liked the plot better. And also, the whole ending of Andy giving away his toys to Bonnie and finally releasing them because he realized that Bonnie will be happier with them than he will. And at the beginning of 3, if you don't remember, they're sitting there, they can't wait to be played with, but he's not playing with them, so he gives them up. And by him giving them up, they're able to be played again, with again, and that's what all they really want. And so they're all super excited for it. Well, by the end, they're all excited for it. I just felt like... I felt like it was just the perfect way to end a great trilogy. Like, there's very few film trilogies out there that all three movies are super solid. And they took that ending and added another great ending to it. Okay. It's like it's like taking it's like sitting there and taking a great movie, like for instance, The Godfather, and then adding a second one. Which necessarily they didn't need to add one. Like I mean, they really didn't need to add one. They didn't. But they added a second one, and it's just as good, not if better, than. Okay, but then they add a third one, that's arguably a terrible movie and help. Have you seen it though? I we'll get into this. We'll get into this. So I gave it a nine out of ten, and Caleb gave it a A seven seven out of ten. But I think we can both agree that. You should watch it. it yes, was, I would it's a good enough movie to watch. Definitely recommend, especially if you like the series. If even if you didn't you really care for the series, you know it's it's a Pixar animation and Pixar. Even though they've been slacking lately, this has been a really good movie. And I would recommend to anyone to go see it. Now moving on to the Academy versus the People. We'll start off with the Academy Award winner, The Godfather Part Two. Seth. So this is the early life of the career of Victor Colleone. 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 In the 1920s, New York City is portrayed, while his son Michael expands and tightens his grip on the family crime syndicate. And it's it's really like, it's it's kind of cool how they do it. It's like one of those classic flashback movies where they'll do the present scene. And then the flashback to the father, Victor, and how he came into power. And then they'll bring it back to Michael and how he's furthering his power. Yeah, I um, I mean, I, I really love 
the Godfathers, excluding three. But um, I really love them, and uh, it's actually a really interesting uh, movie. I like how they do it. It kind of starts and ends the same way as one, if you don't remember. It starts off with a big communion scene. The first one starts off with a big wedding. So it's a big thing, except now Michael's in charge of Godfather Part 2. And it ends the same with them, with Michael killing off everyone that's done him wrong or is going to do him. And so it really parallels the first one, and some may argue better. The hard thing about analyzing or reviewing The Godfathers or Godfather Part 2 is it's been done before a thousand times by people that know a lot more about this than me. But I, I love these movies. I don't know why. I think there's something about this the classiness and they have like this set of rules and morals that they have to follow, but they're still able to just kill people on command. But they have this certain code that they have to follow and have to do for for them to work, for them to not kill each other. And I just find that super interesting and I I think it's kinda like bank robbing. Like a bank robbery you see it in a movie. And like like a good example is the town. You know, they rob they, they rob people and yet you cheer for them. And the quote unquote bad guys are the FBI agents. In all reality, they're just doing good things. But you sympathize with these characters because I feel like, you know, we all sit there and think like, oh, I want to rob a bank or how cool it would be to be in a mafia family. You know, we, we all like kind of fantasize about these weird things for some reason. Or at least I do. I can't speak for everyone. But I feel like that's one of the reasons this movie was so popular. Now, with The Godfather Part 2, I felt like Michael... I felt like he was more stern, stern in this movie. Like, I felt like he almost, at some parts, he almost felt like a totally different character. But I feel like they do a good job explaining because at the beginning he doesn't trust anyone. He doesn't trust anyone to do anything. He has to do it all his own. But you can see through his life why it has to be this way. Especially as the movie progresses, you see why he has done all these decisions, and uh, I, I, I just love it. You know. I would say in this movie, uh, Michael is more coming into his Godfather role as as Michael taking over the Godfather seat from his father. And now, in comparison with Michael and Victor, I would say Michael is very smart like about what he does in both these movies, especially the second one, who he trusts, what he tells certain information to, and how it all builds. It all does play off of each other and you'll see it throughout the movie. But I would say Victor is more of a godfather role. Well, I think another reason that that is because Michael, you know, he um he goes almost national, borderline global with his operations, you know, with his gambling casinos. He almost moves to Havana and starts another casino there. So, unlike Victor, you know, he was more localized in the New York area. But Michael taking it bigger and now they don't have as many politicians and stuff in their back pocket. Now they're people they're being brought to trials and stuff. Unlike before, you know, Victor I don't want to say he had it easy, but in a sense he didn't have to he had to watch his back. But he was more worried about the other mafia families than he ever was about law enforcement or anything like that. Unlike Michael, Michael is now still fighting off other factions and other people that are are slimy and want to kill him and destroy his operations but at the same time it's just as equal of a threat the federal government and i don't think victor 
ever had to come across this. Now, like you just said, I think Mike Michael this seems like a way smarter Don. You know, he 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 knows what he's doing. At least he tries to know what he's doing, and he always tries to put family first, and you see that throughout. Now, he he's literally standing on a house of cards throughout this whole film. That's how I feel like he's not the slightest wrong move and he's dead or he's going to prison for the rest of his life. And it seems like everyone's out to get him. It seems like this power vacuum from his father dying is still in effect. It feels like everyone's still after him and he has to find a way to be profitable and not get killed or be sent to prison with everyone hating him, including his own brother, Fredo. Gosh, I, <laughs> Fredo, I hate that guy. But I think the ultimate villain in this is his wife, Kay. Because he stands by, you know, everyone can screw you over, right? He knows that he expects everyone to screw him over. But his family. He doesn't expect his family to screw him over. And Kay doesn't only screw him over. She aborts his baby. I don't see any justification for this because she spends the whole first movie and then this is part of the second movie she sits there and says I thought you were going to be legitimized I thought you but there's no way Mike Michael says he's going to be legitimate but I don't think I think that he doesn't have any plans on becoming legitimate I truly don't uh, I would say about uh, Michael is he's obviously not a good dude I mean no one in this movie is a good person See, no I disagree there's killing hold on I, t- I totally disagree with there's this. killing going on everywhere you cannot tell me michael's a good dude because he sends out so many hits but i will explain his case and i will explain why everyone should feel bad for michael in this movie is because like kill was saying everyone turns on him his own brother is turning on him and conspiring against him his wife is just straight psychopath killing a baby and then saying the only reason I killed it is because I didn't want to have another child that was from you and bring another kid into this world that was a part of your bloodline, which is probably the worst thing <laughs> you could be told. But this this is my argument for Michael, you know? Through all this, he sticks to his code. I'm not saying I'm not saying justifying murder. I'm not justifying murder here. But what I'm saying is, you know, they don't ever show him cheating on Kay. Yeah. They don't show him ever beating up on Kay. You know, he he treats her with respect. Wow, that one scene he did. Well, okay, yes, <laughs> after she aborts his baby. But he treats her with respect. He treats his whole family with utter respect because he sticks to his guidelines. He has these guidelines set up that he has to follow, and he does follow them, but everyone else around him just keeps on stabbing him in the back. The only people he can trust in this movie is his kids, which are useless because they're not adults and really can't do anything, and his stepbrother. Those are the only people in this movie. Everyone else tries killing him. They try killing him in his own home. And he he really is smart about how he goes about this. Like, even with when he's put on trial in court, and they got him. They got him. They got a guy that Michael put a hit out on because the guy tried killing him. And this guy's going to testify. 
And Michael's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? But then he he flies the witness's brother in from Italy, like day flight, brings him into court, and sits down next to him. So as soon as the guy goes up to tell his case, he looks behind him, sees his brother right next to Michael, and he knows if I sit here and testify against Michael, he's going to kill my family. But if I don't, I'm just going to go to prison and he won't kill my family. Which, standing by the code of Michael, which, all in all, he doesn't end up testifying against Michael, which he gets prison time because he already wrote reports about how Michael did all this. So basically lying against the jury, which is a federal offense. But Michael does stick by his code and doesn't ever harm the family. Yeah, and like you like you mentioned, Tom Hagen, his uh, basically adopted brother, you know, he trusts him. But honestly, I feel like Tom Hagen gets the most crap from him. And he shouldn't because Tom Hagen's been pretty loyal, you know. They talk about that he maybe would have moved to uh, Las Vegas and became a vice president of a casino, and he could have made lots of money, but Tom Hagen decided to stay around. And Michael just kind of treats him like trash. And Tom Hagen, all Tom Hagen does is be loyal to him. And it's funny because when he has no one else to trust, he trusts Tom Hagen. And, uh, you know, this is the question I have to brought up. You know, Fredo, he did him wrong. Clearly, but he won't. He he refuses to kill him because he's still family. He refuses to kill him, but he says I'm not gonna kill you till. Oh, he says I'm not gonna kill you until after say. my mother's funeral, or until my mother dies, right? But after his, at the funeral, you know, he finally meets up with Fredo again and realizes at least it shows he may be totally acting that he comes across as family is the only thing that's important. So he makes up with Fredo again. But then he kills Fredo in one of the most, I don't know, I that seems really, it's just, does Fredo need to die? But I would say Fredo is the one that almost put him in prison for life and almost got him killed because he was the leak. Yes, but did he have to die? Did Michael have to kill Fredo? I would say yes, just for the fact, if somebody sits there and rats you out, let's basically lets people in to kill you can you really ever trust that person again what's going to make him doing it from one time to another time yeah but i don't i don't think fredo fredo did it for the money and he's easily manipulated he's obviously the stupidest of the brothers and of the family so why can't he be manipulated again he can but this is my point he fredo i don't believe fredo did it because he wanted bad things to happen to michael you know, I don't. Th- he 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 swore that no one was gonna get hurt. You know, Fredo, I think is just stupid. I think he makes stupid decisions, right? Just such a weak yes, person. Yes, but if he, but Michael, he's a liability to the family. He is a liability, but he's still family. But he betrayed family. There's the rule. You can't betray your own family. I get it. I get it. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that maybe. He didn't have to kill Fredo. I will say, to top it off, it probably has up there easily top 10 favorite scenes in all movies of all time is when Superman Michael <laughs> lets in, Michael's sisters let in his wife Kay into the house to say, sister, I believe. 
yeah, to say goodbye to the kids or whatever because she wants to take them away. But I think, just, I think they're just letting her into visit. Yeah, this is because, after the yeah, mom's death. So Michael's still like at the funeral or whatever. And she's leaving and the little son won't like give her a hug. It's and not, she's, it's after the funeral, it's not right after the funeral. It's it's after Kay exposes that she's killed the baby, and basically she wants to take the kids. And Michael says, "Do you not know who I am? You're never taking these kids. Like, like you basically choose to live, or you choose." To, well, to well, Michael die. Michael's not gonna kill her, basically, unless she betrays him in some way. I mean, he basically yes said that, yeah. but. Besides the point, she's outside the door, and Michael walks in. And Michael doesn't say anything. Kind of just has this, like, you know, dead face stare on him. And he just walks over slowly, looks at her, and then just slowly closes the door. <laughs> it was super savage. <laughs> it, it's, it's probably one of the best moments. And it's, like, it's probably supposed to be, like, this serious moment, like, Michael's taking a stand here. He's not going to yell at her, not going to fight against her. He's just kind of put turning his other cheek, basically. But yeah. it was just so funny because it just makes Michael so much more of a savage as a godfather. By the way, it's not Victor. It's Vito. Vito. But when they go through the backstory of Vito Corleone, I honestly, like, it was cool. It was interesting. I, I liked it. I'm not going to, like, necessarily knock it. But I think Michael is so much more of an interesting character than Vito. I would agree. But I think that's why they had a second one, basically. Because the first one was let's, it was about Michael. The second one was about Michael. But it had a little bit about Vito rising to power. A little bit. Yeah, like like I, like I said, I enjoyed it. But obviously, like if you can point to a weaker part of the movie, I felt like them going back was the weakest part not saying it was bad because honestly going back and seeing that he just kind of takes care of everyone and then everyone kind of owes him favors and then through that he rises through the ranks with his olive oil company you know it, it adds more character depth but i didn't feel like it was necessarily necessary but like i said it was cool and i really like i said how the movie starts the same and it ends the same now, moving on to our ratings, Kib, what'd you give it? I mean, it's a 10 out of 10. That's what I gave it. It, it really was a perfect movie. Now, would you put it better than the first Godfather or right behind the first Godfather? See, this is a, this is a good question. Honestly, I the longest time I've seen them both, probably about five times each. And um, before this time, without a certain doubt, I could tell you I like the first one better. And I can't, I don't know. I don't know right now. I, cause the second one, I feel like takes Michael and makes him a, so much more interesting character. And like, I really feel for him. He's constantly watching his back. Even his own family's betraying him. Like, and yet he still sticks to the code. And it's really, I really like how they develop him in this. And it's just, it's really great. But, the first one, I mean, is still great. I mean, I, I love the first one. I think, obviously, you don't have the second one without the first one. But I, I don't know. Honestly, I think I like them both the same. 
And I may maybe like the second one a tad better. They are very close in ties. Like, I mean, like, just like right on the cusp of beating each other. I would put personally the second one better than the first. So, moving on to our next movie. Top grossing film of uh, 1974's Blazing Saddles, directed by Mel Brooks. It's one of those movies that definitely would not be made today. Which is actually pretty disappointing. Because it's just, it's just a dumb comedy. You know, it's uh, it takes place in 1874. You know, and in... Uh, in order to ruin a western town, a corrupt politician appoints a black sheriff who promptly becomes his most formidable adversary. Now that description makes it sound a thousand times more serious in this movie. It's basically this uh, railroad worker who's African American beats up some just white outlaw kind of people that are, are under the hand of the attorney general. So the attorney general then uh says what's the best he he wants to build a train through this town and so the best way to make this town basically go crazy is if he appoints a black sheriff so he takes that african-american sends him there to become the sheriff of the city and obviously everyone is just super racist towards him except he meets up with gene wilder which is the waco kid and he's also, like, the fastest hands in the West. Really anything goes in this movie, honestly, with joke-wise. I mean, like, anything. No one's safe. Like, no race, no ethnicity. It's all, everything's on the line here. And, I mean, for a comedy, that's kind of how it should be, especially for what they were going. Because, I mean, if you're going to just, I mean, he literally made fun of everything. Like, anything you can think of, that was made fun of. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, like, I don't... That's why I think this movie, you can still watch it today and still promote it today, is because of that fact right there, is no one's safe. Mel Brooks goes out of his way to make fun of everyone. Now, they use the N-word a lot in this movie, but they also make fun of the Indians, the Chinese people. And especially the white people, too. They make the white people seem to be these absolute idiots. Like, Mel Brooks plays the governor. And he's this cross-eyed, sex-craved, just freak, right? He's absolutely... Something's wrong in his head. And this movie, I this it, 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 it's hilarious because of how taboo this film really is. And you know, a couple of the jokes in there, I think, are funny they kind of go with the family guy route. You know, the joke goes on for so long. So it's like initially funny. And then you're like, okay, I'm sick and tired of this, but it keeps going on. So then you almost laugh that it's keep that's going on. still. like the fart scene when they're all sitting there eating beans, you know, yeah. everyone laughs at a fart joke, but then it's like, keeps going on. You're like, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. But then it keeps going on. And then you, you laugh again because of how absurd it is. And it's a stupid comedy. But it's also is it had it, it's kind of smart in some ways too, you know. The whole last twenty minutes of it breaks the fourth wall in this super. I've never seen it broken like this. The super crazy, like they they go outside the studio and they're in Hollywood, and then they not only are outside of Hollywood attacking everyone. Now 
they go to a movie theater to watch Blazing Saddles. They start watching it, come out of the theater, go back in to watch the ending. Like, just the most insane fourth wall breaking I've ever seen in any movie ever. And I, I really like this movie. I think it's hilarious, and I am so happy that Gene Wilder is in so many of Mel Brooks films because I think he's absolutely excellent in this movie, and he's super funny. The, you always hear the saying about how comedy movies are just funny because they're dumb. Now, this saying stands for this. I mean, these jokes, like Caleb hit on, this and Family Guy does it very well about how you really don't need to think to get these jokes in this movie. Like Caleb said, there's literally a scene for probably a solid two minutes about them just farting. Like, just farting because they're eating beans. That is the whole scene, and it's hilarious. Now, it might go a little bit overboard, but it's still hilarious because it's just the classic bean joke. And they just have the dumbest jokes. But they're so funny. Like, the governor, he's cross-eyed, and that's funny. And all the hangings going on in the town. Like, they're hanging a horse. Yeah, I'm truly convinced Mel Brooks has something against horses. Because how many horses get punched, blown up, hung, like, is insane. Like, honestly, I think more horses die in this movie than people. And it was just, it's just, like I said, it's dumb. But also he has a lot of quick references in there, too. Which, like, you can get on the third and second and fourth and fifth watch. You know, that, that like, make the movie better. And... This is now, it's the 45th year anniversary back in February. And this movie still holds up pretty well. And also, Mel Brooks was just killing it that year. In 1974, he this movie grossed over double of what Godfather Part Two grossed. And then on top of that, after the Blazing Saddles, him and Gene Wilder teamed up again and made Young Frankenstein. Same year. Same year. And still made, and that made, movie made more than The Godfather Part Two. So at this point, Mel Brooks is just rolling in the dough. This is his year. This is Mel Brooks' year. There's no doubt. David Neal work another year. That that was it. This was the whole kibosh. I mean, they do in this movie like, I it's not overboard, but it kind of makes it funny because going off the dumb play, they get a bunch of like guys together right the worst guys in town like and this is a western movie and when you're going they're going down the list of the western people there's just nazis on this and once again this is a western movie 1874. So, yeah <laughs> and then there's also the kkk there and you're just like these guys aren't even supposed to be here this is your part of the movie and when they're talking about breaking the fourth wall they go in this restaurant and it's a bunch of actors and then there's just Hitler in the restaurant for some reason. Like, it's just, like, they're placing, like, the dumbest people in random scenes for that, like, quick laugh. Like, why is this guy here? Why are they here? Yeah, it, it's, it's a really funny movie. I would definitely recommend. Uh, Seth, what was the rating you gave this? I gave it a 8 out of 10 just for the fact that, one, it's hilarious. You can always keep watching it. And, two... They made a comedy which no one's ballsy enough to make today in the sense of, because everyone thinks there will have to be politically correct, 
with comedies, but they made fun of everything. Yeah, I also give an 8 out of 10. And uh, the one thing I did want to mention about this movie that I forgot to is that the soundtrack for this movie. It was actually nominated for Best Soundtrack, but it's so perfect. It's so perfect. It opens up the movie and in between it's so great because it puts it gives that western vibe but it's just if you listen to any of the lyrics they're absolutely absurd because i believe mel brooks wrote them and they to me it adds so much to the movie it makes it that much more funnier to have this soundtrack in it and uh there's just a lot of dumb jokes but a lot of them are just funny and i mean this movie i i think feel like most good comedies are super rewatchable and this movie does it because you could be sitting there in pretty much every scene. Like if I just stopped, skipped an hour in, played it, I would still enjoy that scene without having any context. And that's also because I've seen the movie a bunch of times. But each scene has its own little like nuggets in it that I love. Now this is my point. Who wins that? The Academy or the people? Oh, for sure. The Academy. I mean, it was... By far a better movie. Like, all around, better acting. It was just... I mean, I'd even say better plot. I mean, I don't even know what the plot was in Blazing Saddles. It, it was it was all across. No, it was all across. Plot. It was about no, the sheriff making it to power, but not really at all. <laughs> I mean, because the sheriff really wasn't making it to power because he's just an actor, so it really didn't, like... The plot wasn't, like, there. Yeah, The Godfather Part 2. I, I think the Academy wins this week. Um, Now, which one? Which one's the most rewatchable? I'd have to say Blazing Saddles, because comedy is just one of those things that you can sit there and watch over and over and over again, especially Blazing Saddles, because, like you said, it has those hidden jokes that you can watch it over and over again and still get another joke out of it i'd agree with you but i don't want i think the biggest detractor for me is the runtime godfather part two is almost four hours yes versus blazing cells an hour and a half but with that said also i've watched the godfather part two at least five times so for me i like have to watch it at least once a year and blazing saddles i love it but I do love The Godfather Part 2 so much more. But I agree. Blazing Saddles is easily a way more rewatchable movie. Now, this is another question I thought of. If you're having a movie night, you know, with a bunch of your friends, you don't know what they like. You know, it's just some of them could be bougie art house film guys. Some of them could be just... they. If the movie has explosions they enjoy it you know but that's about it which one of these films are you showing at movie night i show blazing saddles one like you said the runtime on godfather really long movie even though it's a great movie most people that aren't really too much into movies aren't gonna like it and on top of it it is godfather is i believe everyone should watch it but it really is one of those movies that you gotta like that kind of like mafia gangster with you. Plot. I don't know anyone who doesn't like mafia gangster plot. I can think of a couple. No, don't know any. It's phenomenal. 
Uh, the thing though, also about Godfather Two is like, you could is just because it's a sequel, you could turn that movie on not watching the first one, and be totally fine. Or you could turn on this hour and forty minute movie that has humor from every side. You're right. You're right. You're right. And if if you're trying to do something with friends now, I'm really against showing friends anything that deals with comedy because you know if they don't like it it all goes south and they're just like they're like oh i hope we're not watching one of your funny movies again yeah comedy is super subjective and i I agree with that but i feel like that's with anything like i don't i don't enjoy showing like such a hardcore suggesting movies to like my friends just because they're so unless i like unless i know them very well and know what they like then I'll suggest that movie, but uh, it, it's hard for me to suggest some uh, Charlie Kaufman to some people, you know, even though I really enjoy him. But um, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Blazing Saddles, you know, is uh is a good movie, you know, to show. I mean, not everyone's gonna fall in love with it, but I think it has a pretty good universal appeal. And also, who wants to be invited over for a three-and-a-half-hour movie night? Exactly. Unless, <laughs> unless they know what they're getting into. Unless you're sitting down with some cigars, maybe a little alcohol, you know, just to fit in with the Godfather, you know, just exactly. to get that to good old Godfather <laughs> feel to it. But And so, moving on, uh, Next week, we'll be doing kind of a little different, interesting segment. We'll be bringing out our top 10 most patriotic films. And the reason we're doing this is for the 4th of July, coming right around the corner. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to review. We're going to try to narrow down the most patriotic film of all time. We're also going to be reviewing Annabelle, the new Annabelle movie coming out. But, uh... I'm not nearly as excited for this as uh, the most patriotic movie. We have about a list of about ten each. They overlap some of them, and we're gonna we're gonna put them head to head against each other and uh, see who comes out the most American. So uh, until next time, guys. Thank you for listening.